This is Plant-Based Briefing. Six Greenwashing Terms Big Ag is Bringing to COP28, Part 2, by Rachel Sherrington and Hazel Healy at DSmog, posted at sentientmedia.org. And I'm Marian Erickson, host of this curated content plant-based podcast, where I narrate articles on plant-based and vegan living with permission every weekday. And today's article is a bit longer than usual, so it's a two-parter. I read part one yesterday, so go back and listen to that first if you haven't already, then jump back here for part two, and now let's get to today's plant-based briefing. Six Greenwashing Terms Big Ag is Bringing to COP28, part two, by Rachel Sherrington and Hazel Healy at DSmog, posted at sentientmedia.org. Emissions intensity often pairs with efficiency. Like oil and gas companies, agriculture's biggest polluters caught on to the need to talk about their emissions reductions too, but this often comes with a significant catch. While major meat, dairy, and agrochemical companies often publicize their efforts to cut greenhouse gases, this frequently comes with a caveat. The fine print shows these are emissions intensity reductions, producing fewer emissions per ton or per kilo, rather than absolute emissions targets, which would cut emissions overall. European meat and dairy giants Arla and Danish Crown use these emissions intensity targets. Prominent industry initiatives at climate summits also use them. The Pathways to Dairy Net Zero Initiative, P2DNZ, launched at Glasgow's COP26 and which runs an Aim for Climate Innovation Sprint, is among many initiatives pushing to have action on emissions framed in terms of intensity only. P2DNZ, which is well-connected to dairy producers, distributors, and scientists, describes itself as a growing movement dedicated to reducing dairy's greenhouse gas emissions over the next 30 years. It has support from powerful leaders, including U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack. The relentless focus on intensity aims to keep the idea of cutting production or targets off the menu. These include suggestions such as those of the 2019 Eat Lancet Commission into Food, Planet, and Health, which prescribed wealthy countries make deep cuts to meat and dairy consumption. Efficiency often shows up with emissions intensity, doing more with less, and climate-smart agriculture. Some of agriculture's largest emitters are also pushing for efficiency, especially the pesticide and fertilizer industries. The pesticide industry had a large presence at the last summit, with 27 delegates linked to the world's top five pesticide producers, a greater number than delegates from entire delegations of some countries. We can expect a similar turnout at this year's COP, too. While the harmful impacts of agrochemicals on human and ecosystem health are well understood, their links to climate change have been historically overlooked. But pressure is starting to grow on fertilizer companies in particular over their climate impacts. It's a little-known fact that nearly all fertilizers and pesticides are derived from fossil fuels and emit greenhouse gases throughout their manufacturing and use. A study in August 2022 found that the global climate impact of nitrogen fertilizer, which is made from natural gas, exceeds that of commercial aviation, contributing roughly 2% of all global greenhouse gas emissions. Fertilizer also contributes to declining soil health, including the soil's ability to store carbon. But rather than accept that a reduction or major rethink is needed, bodies such as the International Fertilizer Association, which represents all major producers, insist that efficiency will allow its business to continue and grow as it expands into new markets. Alongside, the fertilizer industry is also billing its businesses as clean energy companies of the future, with a promise to capture and store the CO2 from its operations and manufacture hydrogen, which can be used as a substitute fuel for fossil fuels. 
Pesticide companies whose successful lobbying has succeeded in delaying EU farming reforms aimed at protecting its decimated populations of bees, birds, and butterflies also promote efficiency. Often this will focus on precision technologies, selling farmers new tools such as artificial intelligence, drones, and remote sensors. While its proponents say improved efficiency will lead to a cutback in agrochemical use, recent studies have shown that this argument proved untrue in the case of genetically modified crops, which use the same amount of pesticides as non-GM. The industry habit of dumping vast quantities of pesticides banned in the EU on low-income countries does not bode well for efficiency savings either. But this industry narrative has some powerful backers. Last year, U.S. Agriculture Chief Tom Vilsack announced the U.S. Department of Agriculture, USDA, would contribute $25 million to new fertilizer efficiency initiatives, which include an Aim for Sea Innovation Sprint. Others giving public money include the government of Norway, which owns a stake in Yara, one of the largest fertilizer companies in the world. Yara, which sponsored a COP pavilion last year and sent three delegates, this year will be joined by other fertilizer producers, including OCP Group and UPL, which are listed among the UAE partners as part of COP28's Pillar 2 of the COP Food Systems Working Group. Civil society groups' concern is that these influential companies are crowding out the findings of research that makes the case for reducing damaging inputs in favor of natural fertilizers and holistic, remodeled, climate-friendly farming techniques. Sustainable intensification, often used in conjunction with precision agriculture, feeding the world, and global markets. You can expect a battle over the future of the food system and between the sustainable intensification and agroecological visions of farming to be waged fiercely this year at COP28. Major agricultural companies with high carbon footprints, institutes, and foundations advocate for sustainable intensification, which is underpinned by the idea that industrial farming can continue to grow, indeed must grow, to feed an increasing world population, but can do so while causing less damage, producing more with less. Built on top of the efficiency and intensity arguments seen above, the concept brings in a new line of justification for industrial farming. It holds that this approach will also tackle deep-rooted social issues such as global hunger, food security, and poverty. The contrasting vision is offered by agroecology. A collection of green farming techniques and principles, it also advocates for increased yields, but achieved through cutting harmful inputs, a wholesale shift to nature-friendly methods of farming, and rebalancing power towards smallholders and food workers, along with proposing a move to diversified, healthier diets for all. Campaigners accuse proponents of industrial farming of co-opting social justice arguments to justify their business models. The UN-linked Committee on World Food Security also offers a counterpoint to the notion that food scarcity causes hunger and malnutrition, pointing instead to problems with access, distribution, and power. Proponents of agroecology point out that more than a third of all crops grown go to animal feed, which support meat-rich diets in middle- and high-income countries, and around one-third of the food produced for human consumption goes to waste. Their conclusion? Sustainable intensification offers tweaks to how food is made at a time when radical new visions are needed for different and deeper changes. Otherwise, they say large companies in a highly concentrated industry will consolidate market positions, sell more chemical inputs, and keep us locked into a polluting, destructive model of industrial food production that continues to cross multiple planetary boundaries. A deeper analysis of our food systems is slowly edging its way into the UN climate process. 
In July, the Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, called the current system broken. The UAE's climate minister and food systems lead, Mariam Amheri, is calling for national food systems and agricultural policies to be aligned with nationally determined contributions, NDCs, for the first time. But while Amheri has called on a diversity of actors to find solutions, it's unclear where the groups advocating for agroecology, which is mentioned once in AIM for C's 51 innovation sprints, will find traction or finance for their vision of agriculture. You just listened to Six Greenwashing Terms Big Ag is Bringing to COP28, Part 2, by Rachel Sherrington and Hazel Healy at DSmog, posted at sentientmedia.org. And I'm Marian Erickson, your host. And I thought this was a fantastic article, lots of terms to listen for in the reporting coming out of COP28. And generally, I find climate news reporting to be so frustrating. When it starts, I usually just shut it off because they ignore the truth so much of the time. If you're interested in that aspect, there's a great episode I recommend. I'll link in the show notes, number 576. It's also from Sentient Media. 93% of climate news never mentions meat. And Sentient Media is such an amazing organization. And this episode was eye-opening to me and the associated YouTube links. Because they work with these climate reporters all the time. They work to change the way animal agriculture is presented in the media. And it was really fascinating to hear the perspective from these reporters. So check that one out. And then I've done a zillion episodes about climate change and agriculture and all that stuff. But there are a few, if you're interested, just about the food scarcity. One is 87, reducing world hunger with plant-based diets. 379, the significant unalloyed goodness of replacing animal agriculture. And 442, what's causing the global food crisis and how plant-based diets can help. Those are just a few, but I'll link those in the show notes as well. And please share this episode with anyone who might benefit, and thanks for listening.